0: This audio is brought to you by MuslimCentral.com. And we bear witness that he is the only one worthy of worship and unconditional obedience. And we ask him to send his peace and blessings upon his messenger Muhammad Wasallam, his family, his companions, and those that follow. And we ask Allah to send his peace and blessings upon all of the messengers that came before and prophets that came before to join us with our Messenger, Sallallahu in the highest level of Jannat firdaus Allahumma ameen. Dear brothers and sisters, living in a place of privilege, either physically or mentally, we always have the opportunity to turn the TV off or to turn it on, to experience pain from our place of privilege when we feel like we want a dose of that or when it's forced into our faces. And at the end of the day, when we are in our small circles and when we are in our comfort zones, we are able to distance ourselves when we see fit and to pretend that much of what happens in the world doesn't happen. And that's true, not just for our brothers and sisters in Syria with the horrific images that we saw of the children as they were suffocating to death from the chemical attacks. Because that's been happening for a long time. This was not the first time. It's just that the images encounter us in a way that we cannot but see those images. That's also true here in our own Muslim communities and in our own wider community in DFW. We choose not to go into certain areas or certain neighborhoods and encounter poverty that exists all around us. We choose not to encounter some of the unfortunate realities of our, of our city And we choose to disconnect ourselves even internally as a community from some of the situations of transgression and oppression, of desperation and frustration, and pretend that those stories don't exist. People stop coming to the masjid because they feel like they are not cared for. And yes, that is not an excuse for anybody, but at the end of the day, we need to understand what happens. And why is it that people disappear? And why is it that people that are physically present often are still invisible? Because we fail to recognize the trouble that they are in. SubhanAllah, as you are here right now for al Jum'ah one of the contentious issues of the jurisprudence of the Friday prayer is the issue of praying two rakaas. When you walk into the Masjid and the Khutbah has already started. And I'm not going to hash out that debate here because it's a valid difference of opinion. There's a hadith of the Prophet wasallam that no one of you should sit down until he prays two raka'as. And so that's what the apparent meaning of the hadith is and that's why some of the schools of law have determined that even if you walk into the masjid and Jumu'ah has started, then you need to pray your two raka'as. On the other hand, Some of the scholars say, no, there was a context. And indeed, there was a context. Whether or not that means that the command is valid or not is where our scholars differ. And inshallah, there's correctness in either opinion. That a man walked in and the Prophet ﷺ saw his condition. And the Messenger ﷺ wanted people to take note of his condition. Meaning by the way that he was dressed and the way that he looked, there was clearly something wrong. There clearly was economic distress. So when he walked in and he sat down, the Prophet asked him if he prayed two rak'ahs, and he said no. So the Prophet told him to stand up and pray two rak'ahs. And some of those scholars, may Allah have mercy on them, that took the other opinion, they said that that was a specific situation. Whether the law is this or that, the situation though is significant. That it was of the character of our Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam to try to draw the attention of people, to try to draw the attention of the community, to our brothers and sisters that suffer from things that maybe we don't see, that maybe we don't pay close enough attention to, that we are likely to turn a blind eye to. And what I'd like to do in this khutbah is actually to share with you the story of one woman, because this is a phenomenal woman. This is an incredible woman. And like all of the companions of the Prophet ﷺ, she has an incredible story. All of the companions of the Messenger ﷺ had their unique stories. And one of the things about our Prophet ﷺ is that he actually used to listen to their stories. And he used to encourage them to tell their stories. So, whether it's the story of Salman al-Farisi, or the the story of Tamim ibn ibn al-Dari, or whether it's the story of Bilal ibn Rabah, or the story of Khabbab, whatever story it is, the Prophet wanted the community to know the story of that person. Because each person that's sitting here as well has a story. And though it might not be as heroic or as spectacular as the stories of the companions of the Prophet we all have a story. We all have our struggles that others don't see. And either we hide those struggles very well, so others look at us and think that we must be doing fine. Or our struggles are apparent, but the community has the privilege of ignoring those struggles. With our messenger, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he wanted the community to know one another at a deeper level. And to hear their stories. And each one of them had a beautiful story. This story is a story of an incredible woman. And the way that her story is known is that if you walked into the masjid of the Prophet, you knew that there was something special about this woman. Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha. She says that I used to visit this woman daily and sit with her. And she used to say a line of poetry. She used to say, And the day of the scarf was one of the wonders of your Lord, or one of the wonders of our Lord. The day of the scarf was one of the wonders of our Lord. It was on that day that he saved me from the shores of disbelief. And Aisha would hear her saying this over and over and over again, reciting this line of poetry to herself. And just like you all, she had no idea what it meant. She heard the line and she wondered, what is this woman talking about? Maybe it's a poem that she had from her tribe or from her land. And they were, of course, a poetic people. And there's a deeper meaning that I'm not understanding. So she said, one day I just asked her, I said, you know, every single time I sit with you and every time I see you, you're reciting this poem. What's your story? The story of this woman, she says, and she was an Abyssinian uh, slave girl. She was from Abyssinia, which is modern-day northern Ethiopia. And she was a slave girl to one of the Bedouin Arab tribes before Islam. And she said that, I was amongst this tribe and I had no family. I had no connection to anybody. I had no friends. I had no, I mean, she was essentially estranged. SubhanAllah, she's, well, she's living amongst these people and she's a stranger amongst them. She said, I used to serve the family of my master. And I used to travel with them wherever they went and wherever they settled. And she said that one day, the daughter of the master came out. And she was wearing this wishah. And wishah is a scarf in the Arabic language. It refers to uh, a red leather, and or at least in this particular situation, a red leather shawl or scarf that you would either wear on your shoulders or you would put around your waist. Traditionally, the Arabs used to put golden coins on it or some jewelry on it or something valuable on it, and it was a means of, it was a means of beautification, and it was also distinction, a, very pow- a sign of power. So the daughter of my master used to wear this wishah, and this was a particular red leather shawl or scarf that she used to put on her waist or she used to put around her neck. So one day, she went to sleep. And when she went to sleep, a bird came and thought that it was a piece of meat because of its color. So the bird picked it up and flew off with it. So when she woke up, in the mor- when she, woke up, she started to scream about it, that her wishah was missing, her scarf was missing. So she called out to her father and she called out to the elders of her tribe. And she said, someone took my scarf. So obviously, what did they do? They all looked at me. And they all came to me and they started to interrogate me and say, what happened to her scarf? Did you take it away? Did you sell it? Are you hiding it? Where is it? They automatically assumed that she was the one to blame. So she said, I told them, I said, a bird came, grabbed it and took it away. And maybe the bird thought that it was a piece of meat. And when she said that, she said that my master said to me, couldn't you come up with a better lie? Than that, I mean, you could either come clean and say that you stole it or that you're hiding it or that you gave it away to somebody. But if you're going to lie, at least come up with a good lie. At least say something that makes sense. At least say that, you know, maybe she dropped it. She forgot it somewhere. Say something that makes sense. Don't make up a lie that doesn't make any sense. So she said, I said to them, I swear to you, that's exactly what happened. So she said that as I said that they started to search me and they started to hit me and they did not spare a single part of my body except that they searched it for that wisha. And as she's standing there and feeling as she's feeling and crying for help, she said that the bird came and dropped it right in between them. When that happened, she said they all looked shocked and they looked and they saw that we shah. And she said, I screamed out to them and I said, tahamtuni bihi. This is what you accused me of and I was innocent the entire time. And she started to scream at them because it was exactly as she said that bird came back and just dropped that scarf, that we shah, right between them. When that happened, they felt so guilty for doing that to me that they freed me. So now she's in the middle of nowhere. She's a free woman. She's technically free to go. She's not an Arab. She doesn't belong to any of the tribes. And she heard about the call of the Prophet ﷺ in Medina. And she heard that the Prophet ﷺ, that most of his followers were from the slaves and from the weak ones and the oppressed ones. That the message of the Messenger was one that was empowering to people like her, people that were in her situation. And so she made her way to the Prophet. And she accepted Islam. And when the Prophet saw her, he recognized her situation. This was not like the slaves that were becoming Muslim in Mecca, which were the, the majority of the first converts, were slaves that were becoming Muslim. This was not a woman that was familiar with that land and now they're in Medina. She was not like the young homeless man in a sufa that would sleep in the back of the masjid. She had nobody and the Prophet ﷺ looked at her and he recognized her situation. Now I'm going to pause here for a moment. Many lessons that we can take from the story up until this point. Number one, the Messenger ﷺ said, the supplication of the oppressed, لَيْسَ Allah hijaba. There is no veil between that supplication and Allah, even if the one that was making that supplication was a disbeliever. This woman wasn't a Muslim, but she called upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for help, and she was oppressed. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave her what He gave her, or made that way out for her. But beyond that, there is something special about this woman. And the Prophet like told us that sometimes someone special might be in front of you and you're not paying attention because they look disheveled, they look out of place, they look like they have no value in this society. And whether or not you yourself are an elitist or a classist, you naturally will internalize some of the dominant notions of power and value in your society and start to view other people through that lens, even if it's yourself. You might devalue yourself because in your society you are to be looked down upon because of the color of your skin, because of your economic circumstances, whatever it may be, you might actually belittle yourself. And the Prophet ﷺ, he says in another hadith from Abu Huraira radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Rubba ash'af. There might be a person who's disheveled. min al abwab. Literally the imagery being shoved away from people's doors. When they go to anyone's doors, they are shoved away. لَوْ أَقْسَمَ عَلَى اللَّهِ لأبره. But that same person, if they took an oath upon Allah, Allah would honor that oath. So though all of the people see nothing in that person, see no value in that person, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sees something special about that person. When the Prophet ﷺ saw this woman in front of him that had no family, no tribe, that had a special story. And that was actually grateful to be in front of the Prophet Sallallahu and interpreted all of what happened to her as a means of pushing her to the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Her entire life story in her mind had been interpreted as an experience to lead her to that ultimate experience of standing in front of the Prophet Sallallahu and embracing Islam from the hand of the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. That's how everything was. And it made it all worth it. It made it all worth it. What does Aisha say the Prophet ﷺ started to do? He went and he built her a home inside the masjid. He put a low roof and a tent inside the masjid. A home inside the home. Ibn Hajar, rahimallah, remarked, uh, and he, 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 it, he likened it to Zakaria alayhis building the mihrab for Maryam. <laughs> This was not Maryam, the mother of Isa or the daughter of Imran. This was just some Abyssinian slave girl that had, you know, had this incredible journey to Islam. And the messenger, peace went and he allotted a portion of the masjid for her. And she would stay in that portion. Now, many of you have heard the next part of the story. This was the woman that used to clean the masjid. And it was not that she was hired to do so. When she used to notice anything in the masjid, she used to go and she would pick it up and she would clean it. It was her love for the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. She was not brought in as a slave to clean the masjid. She lived in the masjid and she would go and she would clean up anything that she saw. And Aisha radiallahu anha says that I used to go and I used to sit with her and visit her. And the Prophet sallallahu had... There was a special place that that woman occupied to the Prophet Wasallam, because he knew that Allah loved that woman, that that was one of those secret, hidden gems, awliya, close friends of Allah subhanahu wa taala, close friends of God that people would not look at twice. He knew that sallam. so Aisha felt compelled because if you love the Messenger ﷺ, you love those that he loves. And every time she would sit with her, she would hear her recite this poem. وَيَوْمَ الْوِشَاحِ مِنْ أَعَجِيبِ رَبِّنَا And the day of the scarf was one of the wonders of our Lord. أَلَا إِنَّهُ مِنْ بَلْدَةِ الْكُفْرِ anjani. Verily from the shores of disbelief he saved me. She interpreted her experience that way. And subhanallah, there's a powerful lesson in that in and of itself that many times a person looks back on an experience where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took a situation that was seemingly disastrous and turned it into, converted it into a means by which they would be empowered. Some people look back on it with bitterness. Some people look back on it with praise and gratitude. That was this woman. When she looked back on that day, she didn't think about the harassment. She thought about the freedom that allowed her to encounter her actual freedom which was being able to go to the Prophet wasallam and join him salam in Medina. All of the other stuff was a footnote. That's why she's one of those awliya of Allah. That's why she's one of those special people in the sight of Allah. So if you walked into the masjid of the Prophet wasallam and you looked back in a society where that scene was not extraordinary in and of itself, A woman cleaning the masjid would have not been an extraordinary sight. One of the many servants that existed in that society, maybe. You would have walked through the doors of that masjid and looked at her and said, Hmm, oh well, let me pray my sunnah and continue with my salah. She's cleaning up the masjid. That's all you would have seen of that woman. The entire story of that woman would have been hidden from you. And her value as a result would have been to you what it was to most other people. But the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam noticed her. Allah noticed her. And the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam comes out one day, and he notices that she's not present for the entire day. And he, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, just even actually the wording, فَقَدَهَا alaihi literally means he missed her. He wondered where she was. He noticed it right away. It didn't take the Prophet ﷺ many days to notice that she's missing. She's not here. And so he asked Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, where is that woman? And they told her, Ya Rasulullah, she died last night. And she died at an odd time of the night. And SubhanAllah, if you think about it, you know, this woman died in the mas'z of the Prophet ﷺ, was freed by the Prophet ﷺ, had her home built by the Prophet ﷺ in the mas'z of the Prophet ﷺ. And she died at night, and it was an odd time of the night. So the Sahaba thought that it was not the right time to bother the Prophet ﷺ to come and pray the janazah. So instead, they washed her and they prayed on her without waking the Messenger ﷺ up when the Prophet Sallallahu heard that they did that, he was so angry and upset. And his being upset was for many reasons. One of them that he wanted to pray on her and he wanted to lead her janazah. Another one that he understood that the Sahaba did not see how valuable this woman was and who she was and they did not know about her position with Allah. And so he said to them, take me to her grave. Don't you know that these graves are lit up by my prayer for them? And the Messenger goes to her grave and he prays over her grave. And by the way, this is the only incident that we know of in the seerah of the Prophet of a person who had the janazah done for them twice once by the Sahaba and then with the Prophet and presumably maybe another group of Sahaba with him. But he found her valuable enough to go and to pray janazah on her again even though some, the best generation of people already prayed janazah on her i'll take the, i would have loved to have the sahaba pray at my janazah but the prophet like some knew that something was special about this woman and he went to her grave and he prayed for her again and we know that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala lights up the graves by the dua of the messenger sallallahu alaihi Wasallam. And may Allah subhanahu wa taala have mercy on that woman and give her the companionship of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and Jannah firdaus as well as us. Allahumma amin. The point is, dear brothers and sisters, that if you would have walked into the Masjid of the Prophet sallallahu would you have noticed her? Would you have thought there must be a story here? Would you have seen value? And subhanallah, day in and day out, we see people around us that are in need. And we devalue them, whether they're in front of us or they're a few miles away from us or we see them through our computer screens. And we don't take them seriously. And subhanAllah, we allow the media to assign even when we should be emotional and saddened over a conflict and when we should not. Throw away the political language of how these children suddenly became children of God when they were being gassed, but they were not children of God when they were being rejected into our land and their parents and their grandparents being held at airports and rejected throw away the political discourse. I'm talking about you and I, what about the child in Burma? What about the child in Somalia? What about the child in Kenya? What about the child in the central African Republic? What about the child in Kashmir? What about the child in Syria? What about the Palestinians? What about the Yemenis? And I could go, what about, what about, what about, what about, what about. I don't even bother to even say the names anymore in my dua. We just say in every place. Because if I named 30 countries, one of you would walk up to me after the khutbah and say, Sheikh, you missed. And you'd be right. You would be absolutely right. Iraq. Where does it end? How about South Dallas? How about Irving? How about people in front of you? We should not allow for the indicators of a person's value that society accepts to become our indicators of a person's value. Do we value people by money? Do we value people because of their celebrity? SubhanAllah, when someone who's a celebrity has a minor tragedy, it's a major tragedy for everybody else. I guarantee you, they'll be okay. (laughs) They'll be fine. They'll get over their bad haircut or their uh, celebrity breakup or divorce. They can cry themselves to sleep in their million-dollar mansions and something else will come along for them. There are people whose experience you have not encountered. And even within our community, even within our community, our mashayikh, our imams, our du'at, our activists are not more valuable as human beings as each and every single person who attends the masajid and doesn't attend the masajid. Each and every single person of this ummah. We need to experience and try to encounter what's happening and not allow those indicators and those values to become our own. I leave you with this one hadith. It's the hadith of Sahil ibn Sa'id radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And he says that the Prophet sallallahu was sitting down and he tested the community. A man walked by and the Prophet sallallahu said, what's your opinion of that person? They said, Ya Rasulullah, this is a noble man. By Allah, if he asks for a woman's hand in marriage, he should be given that woman's hand in marriage. And if he intercedes on anyone's behalf, then he should be given that intercession. And if he speaks, people should listen to him. And the Prophet stayed quiet, and another man walked by, and the Prophet said, Well, what do you say about that man? Said, Ya Rasulullah, this person is one of the poor, is one of the, the the impoverished Muslims. He doesn't have anything. If he asked for someone's hand in marriage, he would be turned away. And if he spoke, no one would listen to him. And if he sought to intercede on anyone's behalf, no one would take him seriously. The Prophet ﷺ stood up and he said, Hada khayrun min mil al ardi hādhā." He said, That person is better than an entire world full of that person. That person's value is so much more. You're not paying attention to the gems in our community. And to those that are in need, pay attention. Don't let people's stories only be known to you when those with agendas try to make them known to you. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to allow us to have basira, to have not just sight, but to have insight. To allow us to see deeper into our own selves and to the diseases that plague them. To allow us to see deeper into the destructive flaws of the heart and to cure them. And to allow us to see deeper into the situation of the people around us. And to cure those problems through us. We ask Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala to rectify our hearts and rectify through us to guide us and to guide through us. We ask Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala to place us in the service of the people and to place us in the service of his awliya, those beloved friends of his that are hidden amongst us. We ask Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala never to allow us to be from those who oppress. We ask Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala never to be allow us to be amongst those who wrong others and we ask Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala to support us and to support our brothers and sisters wherever they are when they are wronged Allahumma amin aqulu qalbaha wa astaghfirullaha li wa lakum wa li sa'iril muslimin fastaghfiru innahu huwal ghafurur rahim Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Wa la'udwani illa an Al-Zalimin Wa la'aqibatul Al-Muttakeen Allahumma salli wa sallam Wa barak ala abdika wa rasulika Muhammadin sallallahu alihi wa sallam Wa ala anihi wa sahbihi wa sallam Tasliman kathira Allahumma khfirul Al-Mu'minina wal-mu'minaat Wa al-Muslimina wal-Muslimat Al-Ahyai minhum wal-Amwati Innaka sami'un qariibun Mujibu al dawat Allah Makhirlana wa Hamna, Wafu Anna Wala to Adibna, Rabana Laramna and Fusanawa Inlam Tahfirlana tarhamna Lenaku Nanna Min al Kha Sirin, Allah ma in a kaafu and karimuhibula Anna, Allah Mhfirliwali Dina, Rabbi Hamuma Kemarabona sigara Rabbena Habana min aswadina with Ryatina Kurata Ayun, Ujaanna Lil Mutahina imama Allah Monsur Ihwan and Mustada Afina Fima Sharikl Ardu Magariha, Allah Monsur Ihwan and Mustada Afina Walmankubi na Fima Sharikl Adu Magharibiha, Allah Ma'za Al-Islam wa'al-Muslimin wa'adhilla al-shirka wa'al-kathibin wa'dammir a'adaa al-deen Allahumma ahliki al-zalimina bil-zalimin wa'akhirijna wa'ikwanna min beynihim salimin Ibadullah, inna Allah ya'mur adli wa'al-ihsan wa'itai di al wayanha Wa yanha' anil-fahshai wal-munkari wal-baghi Ya'ithukum la'alakum tathakkaroon Fathkuru Allah yathkurukum Wa shkuruuhu ala ni'ma'i yazid lakum Wala dhikru Allahi akbar Wallahu ya'mu ma tasna'oon Wa aqim